0: It's time for Security Now. We were going to talk about PGP, but this week Steve found out so much stuff from Black Hat and DEF CON. He wants to talk about a big, big change in Firefox and a flaw in Chrome that's not as bad as it sounds. It's all
1: coming up next
0: on Security Now. Netcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This This is is TWIT. Audio Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com android. Video Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 416, recorded August 7th, 2013. Black Hat, Tor, and more. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, visit proxpn.com slash twit. And use the offer code SN20. And by Audible.com. To download the free audiobook of your choice, go to AudiblePodcast.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers you, your security, your privacy online with the explainer in chief himself, uh, Mr. Stephen Honor
1: Harrington Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it's Stephen Peter F. Hamilton. Yeah. Did you finish? After- Oh, I did. I finished at the end of last week, as I expected. Steve and, uh, was doing what? Seventeen hour binges. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a, it was a seventeen mile walk on one day when I was reading with my Kindle. Right. Yeah. Basically, it was they were eighteen hour binges. I would just I was reading, sleeping, <laughs> and eating, and that's it. My friends were saying, "What happened? Where'd you go?" I said, "I can't oh, talk Lord to you right now." Love. Oh, my my! What you and finished? The problem it- is, I did. I did the uh, the Void trilogy, absolutely loved it. I can understand people saying, eh, it wasn't his best work. But if you just, if you're not in a hurry, if you don't, I mean, if you just want a really nice, rich, interesting storytelling and characterization in mm-hmm. a sci-fi mm-hmm. framework, it, I, I thought he did a really nice job. What, and, is, what is your
0: favorite Peter F. Hamilton? Do you have
1: one? Oh, I think it's got, well, the early Greg Mandel Stuff is really fun. Oh, good! I haven't read uh, that. Have and that. Gland. gland. Gland is the word I was trying to remember when, because Greg Mandel has an ESP gland. That's ah, yeah, that's right. Embedded yeah. in his head, and he squeezes. Somehow he can he can <laughs> squeeze out a little ESP. Squeeze little it. While. Squeeze yeah. out a little juice in his brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd like uh, that anyway yeah the e s p the plan an anyway would be nice I think fallen dragon if I were to I say agree. i agree it's 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 a reasonable size, it's beautiful characterization, really interesting story, fabulous ending i mean that's if I were to complain about his really long works like just dribble the off. nights the yeah. night's Dawn trilogy yeah. was the first one, of course don't like that um, one, really and then and even the void it's like he wrapped it all up, but it yeah. didn't have any, like, real kick and, and punch at the end. And, oh, my goodness, Fallen Dragon has that wonderful yeah. surprise twist that you never see coming. And so I, I, I really just, I've read it several times, and I, I, I wish for amnesia so I could read it. Again.
0: <laughs> I think my favorite uh, trilogy is Pandora Star, the Pandora Star trilogy.
1: Two uh, two books in that D- one. Dilogy,
0: so,
1: diology, <laughs> <Dialogy.
0: laughs>
1: well, diology. Yeah, Pandora's Star, and uh... I agree. Pandora's Star as a as a substantial piece of work. Also, yeah. th- his his Commonwealth environment, his Love Commonwealth that. universe, yeah. is really fun. Yeah. The idea of having wormholes that you drive trains through, because. How else, How could you better use a wormhole than than with <laughs> by train bringing back it. train system? Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. You know, so you have a, 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 a transgalactic train system, yeah. uh, courtesy of wormholes. It just—it's great. So and great. I mean, anyway, so so the Commonwealth Universe. I really like that he he develops with uh, with Pandora Star, and he is working on some additional ones. So and I'm glad okay. for that. Oh, okay. good. But I'm not touching them. This is
0: not the science fiction show, despite appearances.
1: <laughs> no. Now,
0: uh, last week you said we would do a PGP show, but uh, you've, current events have
1: have changed I all known, that. I sh- well, yes, I should have known better. First of all, we've got the really interesting story of people discovering some spyware on their Firefox version seventeen browsers that are part of the Tor bundle. Oh, yeah which they are explicitly using for anonymizing themselves. It turns out our U.S. law enforcement has figured out how to get in there and and break anonymity. So that would have been a big one. Also, Twitter just finalized the, the yesterday the second shoe dropped on their multi-factor authentication. And there's an, um, something really interesting that they've done for – In case you don't have your phone with you after requiring you to have your phone with you, which we need to talk about. And then, of course, Black Hat and DEF CON just happened. And I should have known better than to think that we were going to talk about anything else after that major convocation. Uh, Yes, I should
0: have. I should have. I should (laughs) have thought of that, too.
1: So this is Black Hat. This this is our annual Black Hat show. Four and more yeah. podcast, yeah. and we will do a and a next week, and we'll, pick, we'll, we'll start in on our <laughs> – unless something else really significant happens. Uh, anyway, but we're, in general, I want to talk about email security as our ongoing background three theme until we have it completely wrapped up with interruptions for user feedback and any other events that happen, and <laughs> the first one of which is this week. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Before
0: – let's I'll tell you what – uh, Let's get going in a second, but first let's uh, maybe uh, sell a little something. What do you say? Good idea. Pay for this. Pay for for the show with a little visit to our friends at ProXPN. We've talked about OpenVPN as a way of uh, privatizing your conversations on the Internet. What it is is essentially an encrypted tunnel that starts with you at your computer, at your point of egress. It could be a mobile device, computer, tablet. And then is encrypted all the way to uh, the open VPN or the VPN server, from which point it makes its way out onto the uh, open Internet. Have to do that because unless you have a VPN connection directly to the website you're going to, which sometimes happens, but doesn't usually on a public website, you've got to be in the public Internet at some point. A lot of people use VPNs for business uh, 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 communications. So I'll be at home and I can log into the company corporate network. We do that um, a VPN, we do that uh, with Premier Radio Networks, for instance. I can log in to do the call screening set, which r- runs on their computer, but I use a VPN to get to it. Pro XPN is designed for people who want that kind of security, and it is strong encryption, it is open source, open PGP, strong encryption from your place to the Pro XPN servers, and thence out to the internet. And it gives you several benefits. First of all, you can be at a hotel or an open Wi Fi access spot, you can be anywhere using the internet, and no one can see what you're doing. That's really important if you travel. That's that's the, f- that's the way I started using ProXPN. But there are other advantages. For instance, with ProXPN, you can emerge at any of their server locations in Dallas, Seattle, London, Singapore, Los Angeles, New York City, or Amsterdam. That means to the outside world, you'll be appearing to come from those locales, eliminating geographic restrictions in many cases. If you're traveling and you want to watch us tv sometimes you can't log in from england to us tv no problem use the pro xpn server in dallas or seattle and you're golden or los angeles or new york city and you're golden it also eliminates spying from your internet service provider people sometimes say well i'm at home i'm safe yeah i wish unfortunately we're learning more and more isps are spying on what you're doing and of course with the new six strikes rule that can be bad news pro xpn offers open vpn strong encryption they have 20, 2048-bit encryption keys inside a 512-bit encryption tunnel. They also offer PPTP for devices that can't handle OpenVPN, although almost everything can now. It's really rolling out even on the mobile devices. More than ever, your online freedom and privacy, folks, we know this. If you listen to this show, are under threat. Governments, ISPs, want to control what you can and cannot see. If you're in Great Britain now, you can't see porn Whatever they decide that is, keeping a record of everything you do, plus that free Wi-Fi at the coffee house hotel or airports putting at your risk. So I want you to try ProXPN. They have a free trial version, but I recommend the pro version, and especially with our deal. So here's what I want you to do. By the way, any online application can work with ProXPN, including browsers, email, file sharing, instant message programs, everything you do is hidden from prying eyes, hiding your physical location giving you unfettered access to any website or online service. Here's the deal. The, the pro version of ProXPN is normally uh, $9.95 a month or $74.95 when you buy an entire year. But if you use our special security now offer, which is SN20, you'll get 20% off for the lifetime of your account, not for the first month of the first year, forever, that's that means on the on the uh, annual plan it's less than five bucks a month for strong VPN. You can cancel within seven days for a full refund. I think you'll be very impressed. Steve Gibson approved. ProXPN.com slash twit, and use the offer code SN twenty. You'll get twenty percent off. Pro p r o x p n. dot com slash twit, and we thank them for their support of security. Now, all right, should we get to the Firefox story is that the that where you want
1: to start? Yeah, um, we just had uh, I think it was yesterday Firefox version twenty three, which uh, was much anticipated. We we've talked about it uh, several times, and I'm sounding disappointed because I am. We once again failed to get third party cookie blocking by default, despite the fact that they've. Punted this is the second time punted on that. Um, there are several new features which are good, and we also already discussed the, the disappointing one that an easy way to j- disable JavaScript was expected to be removed from the user interface, and it's gone. Really? So That's yes, odd. And remember that what they did was in updating, even if you had it turned off and you update to version 23, they turn JavaScript back on and then remove the ability to turn it off. Now, it's still – you can still get to it in the – It's in about uh, config know, now, right? in the, Exactly. Yeah. In, in that ridiculous <laughs> – I mean – Chrome's doing that too. It is so ridiculous. There's amazing number of settings yeah. that are yeah. available in there. Uh, which is sort of more like tweaks than regular UI things. Their feeling is this. JavaScript is now... It it would be like turning HTML off is what they feel. They're like, that setting is too potent. The web depends upon JavaScript now to the extent that you cannot really practically run without it. So they're saying... We're going to remove it from the UI because it it just no longer makes sense not to have JavaScript on all the time. And if you are security conscious, because, oops, I mean, the way the FBI got into Tor was through JavaScript and those... M- Okay, I.
0: I, (laughs) Whoa, you almost did a bad
1: word. I almost did a bad word. Those what? Monkeys, monkeys, the monkeys. The The, even the Tor monkeys said, "Oh, you know, maybe we should have JavaScript on." In the Tor browser by default. It didn't used to be on, and this would have never happened if they had left it off. But even they succumbed to, oh, well, let's, you know. The uh, here's what I would say.
0: I, you know, I think if you're sophisticated enough to be using Tor, then you're sophisticated enough to, to know what to do about Java. Um, well, but no, I but can understand. I mean JavaScript, JavaScript, I should say, but I yeah. can understand why Firefox, which is a browser that men it, they're trying to get everybody to use, yeah. might say, you know, if we let people just turn it off, they're going to their experience is going to be so confusing that. But the sophisticated user is going to either use no script, or you can actually bookmark the appropriate about config um, statement to well, have a bookmark and, to turn and, it off and, and on if and you their want. Their
1: point is exactly that. They're yeah. saying that. And now, what's controversial is they didn't tell you. They were turning it back on. They should have said, and that's they really that's that's. You mean if I if
0: I upgrade, it'll turn it back on
1: if I had it off. Yes. Oh, that's not right. Yes, silently with no indication. Mm -hmm. So, so their position is that that if you want JavaScript off, nobody can actually live with it off. So, get no script. So they're, I mean, they've officially say that's, you know, we're, we're removing the ability to turn it off. If people want control over JavaScript, you need to use a third-party plug-in like NoScript, and that may elevate you to an expert. And again, there are people in IT who are celebrating this because people had turned it off and then didn't know why those sites broke. I mean, first of all, it's not hard for a site to say, uh, hello. Right. You JavaScript, need JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, you got it turned off. We This isn't going to work right. here.
0: Right. That turned off. Well, in fact, there is a standard in HTML going back to 3.3 where yeah, uh, you have a, a mess- no script, you know, tag. And it yep. says, hey, it says, "You I mean, it's so easy to implement. In fact, most off, of the time when you put scripting this. in, you always have, or I always do, a no script tag that says to "deal with the case." Yeah, you're not seeing this plugin because yep. you have JavaScript turned off. Yep. Or offer in a in a better world, offer a scriptless version of the same functionality, which would be awesome.
1: Nice. Yeah, exactly. Now, and and see, I'm heartened because I, of course, I fly with scripting disabled. I'm I'm using Firefox still because. Google, unfortunately, Chrome is just out of control in terms of bloat. I'm hearing a lot of people, by the way, saying, wow, Chrome is getting really slow because it's just getting so big. So at some point, I mean, and, and that happens. We saw it happen with Firefox. It's happened with Chrome. So at some point, they'll need to just sort of sort of do a reset. And they may be getting ready to do that as they move away from WebKit into their next rendering system. They may, you know, may not be worrying about it right now because they're waiting for things to settle. Um, but I, I love it from a security standpoint. Chrome's doing a lot of things, although we're going to talk about a bit of controversy relative to passwords here in a second. But um, but Firefox, um, I, 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 what I was saying is I'm heartened by the fact that I, I am now frequently seeing sites that put up a little banner at the top of the page saying, Oh, for full functionality of this site, you need to turn JavaScript on because it's not on right now. And I think, oh, and I look at the site and I think, well, i I'm, I'm, am I passing by? Do I care? Do I, you know, is it worth, do I, do I trust this site? And again, it's because of everything we've seen is not the site so much as, you know, the, the everything about it, because we've seen... JavaScript code being injected onto otherwise good sites. And in the news also this week, we're seeing now malicious ad servers are injecting JavaScript into ads, which are being... Thir- so so third-party ads being served up by good sites are um, running script now that can be malicious. So uh, again, our audience knows how I feel about scripting. It's just... N- Absolutely, it should be off unless you know you need to turn it on. And as if you're skipping around the internet and clicking on links, you really want to do that with JavaScript off because it's it's now the way bad stuff gets in. So that setting's removed from Firefox in version 23. We There was an expectation that they were going to turn third-party cookies off by default, as Safari does. Um, I initially tweeted yesterday... The news that they had done that, along with the other couple things. But then finally, this morning, I, I said, well, Let me make sure about this because the wording is now misleading. And, which, and it was the wording on their UI where they said, um, Keep cookies from sites you visit. And so I thought, Oh, Yay! That's exactly what Safari says. Sites you don't visit. Unfortunately, it also is sites you don't in, in the case of Firefox. Now, many people don't know because this is one of those deep technology projects that I did where after I solved all the problems, I got a lot of the documentation done, but then something came up and it took me off in a different direction. GRC has for years hosted a, a beautiful, if I do say so myself, um, cookie forensics system that instantly shows you exactly what your browser is doing. And I because it's not linked to the main menu, nobody knows about it. But I created a little bitly shortcut just now for a, a, a for my for my correction tweet when I realized that Firefox version 23 had not blocked third-party cookies, bit.ly slash check cookie, all lowercase, C-H-E-C-K-C-O-O-K-I-E. And that just redirects you to my site's secure cookie checking system, which which needs to have browser redirects enabled because that's the technology it uses for causing your browser to query and get responses, query and get responses several times as it tracks exactly what cookies are sent and received in order to do all kinds of cool things like show you whether you've got stale cookies, fresh cookies, no cookies. It actually (laughs) plants cookies in icons, in, in iframes, in in page headers. It does that the fast. Pr- it's doing all that.
0: Yeah. oh, well, It does it,
1: it. does a whole bunch of stuff and gives you a cool summary, uh, which then interprets all that for you in English, telling you what you need to worry about and not. Um, and it, what's nice is for doing, it, doing research in how various browsers are configured. It's, it just allows you to quickly determine what's going on. Because, uh, for example, some browsers, even Safari, if you disable cookies, then come and then re and then do this, it'll say, "Well, your new cookies are disabled, but old cookies are still being sent." Oh wow! And so you you can go ooh, and then close <laughs> Safari and start it up again, and then see if that's still true. And then like wipe out cookies and then see. Anyway, it's it's fabulous for testing how cookies are handled. So bit.ly dot l y slash Check cookie, um, and it's interesting because I, when I tweeted this this morning, a bunch of people sent back surprises. They said, "Wow, I thought I had third-party cookies disabled, but they're not, and I didn't know that." So, so this little cookies for cookie forensics system that I built years ago when I was early on my third-party cookie campaign uh, has always been there and uh, works well. So now they're saying. That, that the Mozilla group are going to fall back to a new system involving cookie whitelisting and blacklisting, which is really disappointing. Uh, Stanford University has something called the Center for Internet and Society, um, and they're going to develop something called the CCH, the Cookie Clearinghouse, where they or someone decide which cookies you want and which ones you don't. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. So who knows? Uh, That's not ready yet. They've decided. Apparently what was happening was when third-party cookies were disabled, there were problems. And we talked about this in in our Q&A last week. We had a, a listener who wanted to tell IT how to fix the problem that they're having. And that you... It is the case that you can, using some settings, often enable or disable third-party cookies per site, very much like NoScript does with scripting per site, which would be a nice way to handle this. But, you know, it's a lot for the average user to deal with. So, you know, the way I, the way well, this has been discussed at, at great length over in GRC's news groups, and where many people settled out was to always accept third-party cookies but only retain them until I close Firefox. That's sort of a nice compromise. Firefox does offer that, has offered it, still offers it. So that way, third-party cookies are are accepted during your use of the web browser, but when you close Firefox, it doesn't write them to... to permanent storage and they're never written to disk and so they're discarded. So that solves the long-term third-party tracking problem. The persistence of them is the problem. I mean, one of the other things that w- w- would be nice would be if you if you said we want third-party cookies to be transmuted into session cookies, turn them into session cookies so they so they never live past the current session. That would work too, but we, we don't seem to be given those sorts of options well, at least w- so, it,
0: when you restart the browser that's that's actually surprisingly good i I didn't realize they were doing that that's good, yes,
1: and I like that that yeah. that solves the long term persistence, which is really what the third party cookie problem is without messing up short term gluing of third party right. sites right. to your first party site
0: like the description the guy described last
1: week Yes, that would that exactly. would work
0: those iframes would work
1: yeah yes and then finally they added they they've Continued to march forward with mixed content. Remember that mixed content is where not where you are going. You're on a secure page, but not all of the URLs are secure. That's a problem because it means that that some of the content coming back could have been messed with and in addition to, of course, more easily spied upon, which is, you know, in the news currently, but could be altered. And you really don't want any of your content to be alterable. So it used to be that browsers would give you a pop-up and then would say, you know, and most people just say, okay, and then the, the mixed content page proceeds. With version 23, Firefox divides the insecure content which could be requested by the page you're visiting into active and inactive it re- it figures that inactive content meaning static jpegs and gif images and and you know boilerplate body copy and things if the browser is 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 asking for those over an insecure page Firefox is going to go, eh, okay. That's, you know, it's not active content. But it's much tougher than on inactive On sorry, on active content. It blocks it. No notices, no warnings. It simply blocks it. It will not come up. And then a, a rather obscure new icon shows or yeah well a little image over in the very far left of your URL it shows a shield that is half filled in so it's like split sort of a split shield and that's their indication that we have blocked active active mixed content on this page if you click that it drops down a little information window explaining what the shield means and giving you the option of allowing all content even active insecure content on this otherwise secure page. So that's what they feel now for version 23 is the right way to handle the the mixed content problem is to allow inactive block active but then sort of make a note of it over in the URL in case something seems wrong to you. And then you can click it and allow the active content the active insecure component of the page to come through and a bunch of other updates and, you know, security fixes and so forth in, in version 23. So we're now at 23 and, uh, uh, third party cookies did not get blocked and doesn't look like they're going to be, I don't, it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll of course we'll be following, the development of this CCH blacklist and whitelist, and uh, I hope they do a good job. I mean, I guess anything's better than this right now, you know, just allowing them all by default. And having misleading text where they say, only from sites that you visit. It's like, okay, that really sounds like you're blocking third-party cookies. That's what Safari says, and that's what it means. But it's not what Firefox means. Hmm. Um, Okay, Twitter has evolved their multi-factor authentication. We covered the story that they had added SMS texting for to to, for, to to add a factor to authentication and they did that sort of in a hurry. We knew and, and in, fact, in fact there were people noting that there were employment ads for Twitter that were clearly yeah. looking for third-party authentication experts so what they did is something completely different which is a mixed blessing you know it would have been it would have been nice in fact it would still be nice if they supported what everybody else has supported yeah. which is oath oh which is not oauth remember it's oath o-a-t-h which is the time-based one-time password there are beautiful clients for our phones, um, so and so, it's easy to have with you. We've talked about how nice it is. Everybody else, as they're coming out with one-time password solutions, is supporting oath, but not Twitter. Twitter's rationale was that oath inherently requires a shared secret, and we know that's true. The idea is your phone has a gibberish looking mumbo-jumbo pseudo-random token. And that's the key that drives the sequence that Oath uses to generate, based on time of day, to generate the six-character pa- password that changes every 30 seconds. Um, the same gibberish is then maintained on the server side. So it knows what time it is, it generates, the using the same shared secret, it generates the six characters that you should be giving to it. You know, and often maybe plus or minus um, uh, one set. So that if your clock is a little bit slow and you happen to be sending it in exactly on the change point, it'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know, close enough. Twitter didn't want to have a shared secret because the the danger is if their server were compromised and this is the the whole thing this is the whole rationale for not doing what everybody else is doing if their server were compromised those one-time passwords could get out in which case a third party potentially malicious could generate the same token stream that you're generating and so that would mean if the compromise were not found and and in fairness to them typically these compromises are often not found immediately we often report that oh it was you know 3 months ago somebody got into the servers and got this stuff out you know exfiltrated this data and so the the trouble would be that in in that window during which between which the secret got out from the server and it was discovered as being loose in the wild, all hell would break loose so they're saying we don't want that responsibility we want a system and I you know I can understand that I can salute them also remember if you were using reusing that same token for multiple sites, then similarly to reusing your username and password that they, they could the bad guys who compromised, for example, Twitter's servers, wouldn't just have access to spoofing you on Twitter, but anywhere else you might have reused that same token. Although the whole the whole beauty of the OAuth system and the clients that we like is that you get a cool little lineup of tokens that are all changing at the same time. So they said no, we're not going to do that. So they went with a very two things. One is very standard. The second is not, but very cool. Okay, so the standard thing they did was a simple RSA key pair. So they're using public key encryption, rather whereas Oath is private key, symmetric key encryption. They added to the Twitter app for iOS and Android, and it's there now. If you update your iOS and Android Twitter apps, they added... Yesterday, a 2048 bit, so nice and strong, that's the strength we want now, and we'll be talking a little bit later about a, a one of the presentations at, at Black Hat was disturbing because of recent advances we'll see in academic uh, number factoring, which begins to make people worry about how much longer RSA is going to be with us. So, 2048 bit nice long key pair. The private key never leaves your Twitter app. Um the public key is stored, I'm sorry, the the yeah, the private key never leaves the Twitter Twitter app. The public key is what Twitter holds. However, all that allows them to do is authenticate your phone. Now that's good. Notice that that's the difference with, with OAuth. If you have the OAuth key, you because you generate the same token the phone generates, you can both authenticate and impersonate. And so that's what t- Twitter wanted to avoid. If Twitter has the public key, they cannot impersonate. All they can do is authenticate. So when you want to log on to Twitter on a web server and this has been – and you've set, up this, you've set this up in your phone, you give them your username and password to identify your account to Twitter. Then they see that this is set up and they, Twitter, send your phone a long random challenge as it's called – in crypto parlance, 190 bits, which is turned into 32 characters as a so-called nonce, N-O-N-C-E, a pseudo-random nonce challenge. Your phone, which holds, uniquely holds a private key that was generated by the Twitter app, cryptographically signs the challenge, meaning that it probably hashes it and then encrypts it um, using the the private key that it has and returns it. Twitter, the only thing Twitter can do is verify the challenge by taking but by, by decrypting the signature that you made and verifying that it is the proper hash of the challenge it sent, only someone having the private key can do that. So it says that that ve- that very nicely validates you are you. So that technology we have now, um, they like it because um, it 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 avoids SMS and the possibility of SMS hacks. Um, and and as, as we said, for all the reasons I laid out first, it solves the problem of you know these public keys ever getting um, loose from them. All it can do is authenticate the challenge. But what if you don't have your phone? How do you do a recovery password? They recognize that that there you know all of these systems one way or another have to have a yeah, but I, you know, I left my phone somewhere. It's not with me, blah blah blah. So, one t- what they need is a backup code. And this is where I I have to say, this is very cool. Um, back in 1996, so what is that, 27 years ago? <laughs> um, Northwestern University published an idea, and this is back in, you know, like in Unix login days before the internet, um, published a... A, a, a nifty concept that they called S slash key for secure key, and and the it was a one time password solution that for whatever reason no one ever adopted, but it's nifty. So uh, that is, you know, this this system based on S slash key is also. In the new Twitter app for iOS and Android, and here's how it works: a separate during during this initial enrollment period, this enrollment and configuration of i w- w- with the new Twitter, uh, uh what um, <laughs> I got myself distracted. Sorry, <laughs> the new Twitter uh, iOS and Android app. When you're setting it up, a separate 64 bit random seed is hashed 10,000 times. Wow. Yeah. Through SHA 256. So a state of the art secure hash. It's hashed 10,000 times and turned into a 60 bit 12 character string using something called base 32. And as I I think it was before we began recording, Leo, I mentioned that one of the first things I'm going to talk about yeah. when we start talking about email security is the the, the whole askification, the whole, askification. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. yes, I just made that and, up. Turning and, stuff into ASCII and binary Yeah, which the the is the process opposite. of going. Do right. you, you want reversible? You need to be able to turn binary into ASCII. When it's necessary to transmit this over a channel that that has limited, you know, that that isn't a binary capable channel and to turn it back into ASCII at the other end. We see that all the time in crypto with certificates because they're all binary and we're going to be seeing it a lot with S-MIME and PGP and GPG and all those things. You know, you see these blocks of what looks like gibberish, you know, in, you know, in a piece of email. So... I want to demystify what that is and and get people comfortable with this whole process uh, as we begin to plow into this. But this takes, so we we do 10,000 hashes, reduce the result to a 60 bit string, turn binary, turn that into a 12 character ASCII string. That string is stored by Twitter. On their servers. Okay. Then the phone does the whole thing again, but stops one short. It does 9,999 hashes, does the same process, and gives you the 12 character, that 12 character string saying, write it down. This is your emergency recovery key. And so what's clever about this is you have the one preceding the one the server has. And we know hashing is one way. So if you ever need to log on to Twitter and your phone is not available to you, but you wrote down this 12-character string in your you know and stuck it on a post-it note and stu- uh, in you know and in, in your wallet for example then you go oh i don't have my phone with me but i need to log on so you re- you type in the 12 character string and submit it
0: save it in your last pass so it's secure
1: that goes to yes okay. that goes to twitter that converts it back into binary hashes it one more time to take it from nine 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 nine, 9 to ten thousand and it verifies that it matches the ten thousandth string that you gave it and um and then when you ask your phone for another one, because you can only use it one time, oh, I forgot to say, after doing that, Twitter stores the 9999th one because your next emergency code will be the 9998th one so basically you as you use these over time you you're walking backwards through a chain of one-way functions of chain of one-way hashes you can it's all as we know it's always possible to go from the current one to the next one. It's impossible to go from the to, to predict what the predecessor was of the output of a hash. And so Twitter, you so when you authenticate using your backup codes, you you always give Twitter the one before, which it can verify is the one before the one it has, and then it stores that one as the one it has. And you'll give it the one before that next time. Perfect. It's really cool. Yeah, I think you know it's it's something different, but it's a
0: similar idea to what Apple and uh, Microsoft do uh, with the whole disk encryption built into the OS. uh, They give you a um, a way out if you lose the password, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And again, this also solves the problem of Twitter never having something that can compromise you. Yeah, that is clever. all that can do is verify that you gave it the proper preceding passcode and then it's, it says, yes, you are you, it logs you in, and then it keeps that one you gave it as the next preceding as, – as the next succeeding passcode for the one that you're going to give it, which will precede it. So I thought that was – I was, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's all new. They they invented their own system. It would be yeah, that's nice. the shame. I mean, yes. they didn't really yes. need to
0: reinvent the wheel.
1: Yeah, they wanted to own it themselves, and it's it would be nice, for example. Oh, by the way, SMS is still supported. So right. if you don't want to do any of this, you can still use the existing SMS system. I think it would be nice if they also supported Oath yes. that everybody else supports. Because I have my Google
0: Authenticator. Yes. Works for LastPass, works for Google, works for Outlook.com. So yep. come on, if it's good enough for Microsoft and Google, do it. Yeah. Seems, yeah. Give it to us as an option. But you know, Blizzard does that too. They have Blizzard's worse because they have their own authenticator.
1: Yep. They're like Verisign, where yeah. you need need to use their server uh, in order yeah. to in order to authenticate. Yeah. So. Yeah. So not surprisingly, um, we talked about this a week or two ago when DefCon officially. Um, was it DEF CON or Black Hat? Now I'm, I'm confusing myself because I wrote DEF CON. Black Hat is the official formal conference. And then
0: the hackers stick around for DEF CON.
1: Okay. And, so and I'm, that's where
0: they get crazy so what, on it.
1: What I wrote here was <laughs> that NSA director Keith Alexander did not have a pleasant time. Speaking that would be Def- Black Hat
0: because That's what I he thought. wasn't yes. allowed to go to DEF CON. Yes. They, they yeah, uninvited yeah. the feds. Yeah.
1: Correct. My notes confused me. Yes. So he was, he was uninvited by DEF CON saying, eh, you know, well, I mean, I, I, actually he wasn't, but all of the, the federal government was, was discouraged from going and, you know, with, with the argument that we need a little time to cool off here and so forth. So it was at Black Hat that he was on July 31st the opening keynote speaker. And so, uh, anyway, the crowd listening to his opening keynote was initially, initially quiet and attentive and polite. But as he went on, basically trying to explain yeah. the how and why of the NSA surveillance yeah. being both legal and effective, <sighs> they, the crowd got increasingly restless, hostile, and heckling. As am I right now. Just yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. So so that by the end, it was, you know, I mean, he did make it through his speech, but yeah. it was somewhat questionable whether he was going to be able to or not. <laughs> and then on the Sunday show, I hope there's some follow-up to this because I would like to, and I, I I ought to have done some more re- research, but it was just a, a comment in passing on ABC's This Week show with George Stephanopoulos where it came out that in In 2011, so two years ago, the secret FISA court produced a report themselves stating that what was being done was both unconstitutional and unlawful, and the report was classified and suppressed. Oh, I just –
0: this is endless. (laughs) I don't know how it can get any worse.
1: So it's like okay, so you know, here's the FISA court being this this court that operates already in secret, and then the judges themselves produce a report stating that what they're being asked to do, that is to that is that what what they are overseeing and is being done is unconstitutional and unlawful, and that report is suppressed is classified holy cow.
0: That's really wrong, Leo. We are rapidly approaching nineteen eighty four. I I, I am very depressed. It's <laughs> it's one thing if, you know, you can justify it and say, look, we're fighting terrorism. But but doing something like that, where your own secret court condemns you yes. being suppressed, that's viciously illegal at this
1: point. And we have we have lawmakers, congressmen who cannot speak because the information they have is is classified. And so they're unable to say this is wrong. Uh, yeah.
0: Or they aren't being told. I mean, we're learning that as well, that they're not being told everything they're In supposed In some cases There's
1: they haven't been, but there vast are Vast illegalities
0: are. going on. Yes. Uh, being perpetrated by the, uh, by the federal government and not by the legislative branch, but by yes. the executive branch and the law enforcement uh, bureaus. Vast illegalities and no one
1: is stopping it. Um, I tweeted a link uh, using Bitly again, um, and and I would be I need to start using my own system. I I have the URL GRC.SC for shortcut, so I could do my own little shortcuts. But you know, <laughs> nothing is going to interrupt SpinRight. I mean, I did I did allow fi to interrupt my work on SpinRight, but that stopped, and so I'm back. Um, anyway, so for now I'm using Bitly. This is section 215, all lowercase, is the, is the tag, bit.ly slash section 215. This is the best, most succinct summary. Ars Technica just published this, which is a very good explanation for how this, this mass surveillance legislation was, was basically silently fudged. And what you will see in there, Leo, re- you should read it sometime if you can. The, the lawmakers who watched this happen, who objected to it, who knew, knew what was happening. From the, from the initial authorization, when it came up for reauthorization, some language was subtly changed that fundamentally changed what could be done. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, this, as you said, it's not good. Now, in something that is sort of, I don't quite understand. This this uh, this is for me this is a tempest in a teapot, but Twitter doesn't think so, and the media doesn't think so. So, you know, nine to five Mac, their headline: security flaw in Chrome browser. Reveals plain text passwords without authentication. I was hoping you'd cover this because I'm
0: very curious about this. And of course, yeah, and you need an expert to tell you.
1: And I thought what it means. wow. Yeah. Okay, what is that? That's not good. And then and so then they quote, they say, The Guardian reports that a security flaw in Chrome allows anyone with access to a computer. <laughs> well, at least there are some <laughs> requirements. got to have a
0: computer. <laughs> you yeah, could leave that
1: a, whole yeah. clause out. I know. <laughs> to view all of the saved logins without requiring any form of authentication. And so, so then I go, what? Mm-hmm. So I switch over to the Guardian. Mm. Google Chrome security flaw allows all... Unrestricted Password Access. And then their, their subheader, Plain text logon details for email, social networks, and company systems stored in the browser's settings panel. And I thought, well, yeah, okay. So, so the Guardian, and this sort of, this explains... Both sides of this, so, and and some some sort of, like, this sets it up. So I'm just going to share th- th- this Guardian story. A serious flaw in the security of Google's Chrome browser lets anyone with access to the, a user's computer see all the passwords stored for email, social media, and other sites directly from the settings panel. What? No password is needed to view them. Oh, Okay. Besides personal accounts, sensitive company login details would be compromised if someone who used Chrome left their computer unattended with the screen active. Seeing the passwords is achieved simply by clicking on the settings icon. And, Leo, you can okay, follow I'm doing along. It. I'm doing it right like, now, yes. choosing. Terrified. Show, oh yeah. Are you sitting down? Are you on your ball? Are you on your, are you centered on your ball? I am centered because this is horrible. Yes, yes. Good, yeah. If you are off center on your ball, (laughs) you might lose it. Yes, okay. Okay. Choosing (laughs) show. Advanced settings. Show
0: it. Uh, show it. Uh, show advanced. Oh, that's way at the bottom here. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Okay, go yeah.
1: all the way. Okay, to, you know, yeah, it's a yeah. long passwords scroll. Passwords and forms. To uh, yes, 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 that's where you want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And managed saved passwords. Okay, let's in click passwords that. Passwords and is forms. It gonna, I'm going to take
0: the camera off of it because I don't want to reveal anything.
1: Yeah. A list of obscured passwords is then revealed <laughs> for sites. Yeah, they're obscurity. They're little okay. black dots, yeah, little black dots, yeah. And they're all the same length, aren't yeah. they?
0: No, they're different lengths.
1: Oh, oh different lengths.
0: there's some but, information leakage right there. Yeah, that's man. not good. Yeah, okay, no.
1: yeah. Okay. But clicking beside them.
0: Okay, I'm going to hide this again. Clicking beside is
1: the plane. Oh, the show connection. button, yeah. <gasps> Leo, here's a show button. <laughs> oh, my God. And it does, it shows it. Who put that there? Oh, my, that's a serious security flaw. Yes, Clear. yes. Yes, and now there for anyone to see is your password. Yes. That could be copied, Leo. It could be. It could be sent yes. via a screenshot Yes, to an outside site. It sure could. My God, it means, you know, pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to
0: be logged in as me on my version of chrome
1: and and and, and have and, access
0: well, to my computer but,
1: but get this leo but yeah the head of google's chrome development team yeah justin uh hey,
0: if i can't uh, look at my passwords that could be a problem folks <laughs> i want to
1: be able to look at my passwords head, get this this yeah. this is where it just goes I, of, I could do that with LastPass too. too head of google yeah I yeah, know, <laughs> yeah okay. chrome developer team said yes he was aware of this uh yeah i'm aware of they, it what yes. of it <laughs> uh-huh. and there are no plans no, leo no no plans
0: yeah no no plans at all
1: <laughs> that now however now the guardian took a little you know who was in the middle of generating a great story here with a fabulous headline right that he goes on to say that response was described by sir Tim Berners-Lee, the the guy, the guy, br- the the guy British, yeah, the man, the British inventor of the whole web, the whole thing. He invented as disappointing. Oh, come on, Tim. Sir Tim is disappointed.
0: Tim obviously didn't he really look into it.
1: <laughs> the flaw, Leo. You have just demonstrated a flaw of Chrome security as quote, "How to get all your big sister's passwords." Says Tim. Yes, that's right. Chrome. If your big sister is
0: stupid enough not to log off. Just, <laughs> just
1: to give you some background here, Chrome is one of the three most widely used browsers. I'm just, just no, still quoting. really? Guard, yes, wow. from The Guardian. The Guardian says, the three most widely used browsers on desktops worldwide, along with Microsoft's Internet Explorer and Mozilla's Firefox. Mm. It has millions, Leo, of users and is seen by – the Guardian didn't say Leo, I added that – is seen <laughs> by some as crucial to Google's future efforts to monetize – crucial. Web. I mean, I'm it just is.
0: curious because if I go to
1: LastPass
0: in, in, in my browser and then I look at a password – here, let's, uh, let's pick something. And I say, let's edit that password. I did that yesterday. And, then, man. and, and ooh, let's not show that. Oh, that was no, a mistake. Horrible. I just showed my credit card number. I'm going to have to change that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we start doing this stuff. It had my credit card number in the clear. How God. dare they? After
1: you asked it to uh, show it to you. How dare they? Yes. Yeah, it had the whole thing. I guess I'm going to have to change that. (laughs) So, folks, (laughs) there you have it. If you want to know what your passwords are, Google will show them to you. (laughs) Did you get the
0: screenshots, those of you at home? Okay.
1: Now, what Firefox does is offers you the option which Google has left out. And this seems to be the focus of this whole Tempest in a Teapot. Firefox will allow you to create a master password to protect all of your mini passwords, your non-master, your slave passwords. Chrome doesn't do that. Everybody would be happy, apparently, if Chrome allowed you the option of creating a master password. But um, uh, this uh, Justin Chrome's uh, head of he's uh, the head of Chrome's developer team wrote on Hacker News that quote We've also been repeatedly asked why we don't just support a master password or something similar, even if we don't believe it works. We've debated it over and over again. So, folks, this was not left out by oversight. But the conclusion we've always come to is that we don't want to provide users with a false sense of security and encourage risky behavior. We want to be very clear that when you grant somebody access to your OS user account, they can get everything. And what I loved was this article finishes with an unnamed security manager at a publishing company who said, the fact you can view the passwords means they are stored in reversible form, which means that the dark coders out there We'll be writing a Trojan to steal that password store as we speak. Now, this is not a very smart security manager, unnamed, thankfully, at a publishing company, because of course they're reversible. They're stored in your browser so that your browser can send them to the website, as if you had typed them. (laughs) If you didn't do that, you and (laughs) okay, (laughs) okay.
0: Yeah. So, by the way, don't don't use that credit card number I just put out over the air because I've replaced it. So, yeah, I can't believe I did that. Um, So uh, now the same thing happens with LastPass, uh, but you have to be logged in in both cases.
1: You have to be logged in uh, to Chrome too. Browsers want to describe. Browsers want that browsers have always offered you. Would you like me to save the password? Right. Of this page
0: and, and Firefox will password protect that. Actually, Firefox did use to store that with that in a file without encryption, but
1: that was a while ago. Yes, this yeah. has been resolved quite a while ago. But but mostly, I mean, the lesson we we you know our listeners know. Yes, you are a privileged user of your computer, which is why I hope you have a a logon password for your computer. What that means is you you should. Shut it down or or lock the system if you're going to be away. Someone sitting at your computer is presumed to be you it, it, at at a level of granularity you can control under LastPass, you can say prompt me for my master password every time LastPass is going to is going to decrypt the your local store in order to in order to send the password. Off to a website, or you can say no. I'm the only one around. I, I, you know, ask me only when I fire up Firefox, or make that even that make that more persistent, so you can control that level. Um, and so, what Google's position is, we're our feeling is none of that is really very useful. We don't want to pretend that it is. Um, so. Yes, we'll show you your password if you ask us. Yeah, if you and have course, physical
0: access to a computer,
1: in you're general,
0: you're god of that machine. Yeah, I mean, come on, yeah. <laughs> that's that's moronic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of moronic, that was really stupid to show my all that
1: information. Yeah. <laughs> god. So, um, <laughs> one of the other black hat presentations, yes, was a disturbing analysis of the current academic research in factoring and essentially a a group of guys at a, at a firm ISEC partners did a very chilling presentation showing the advances just in the last six months on edge cases of factoring there. They don't, fully apply today. So it's not like a linear scale where we're we're linearly getting better, but that the mathematicians are really intrigued by the idea. And when you get a whole bunch of mathematicians really intrigued and you allow them to talk to each other and publish papers, and go, oh, look what happened. We realized that this little subdomain over here has a recurring modulo in the field of something or other. Then they, then other researchers go, hey, hmm, that kind of fits in with what I was doing. And they end up, you know, whittling away at this. This is the way it's going to happen. So right now, the Diffie-Hellman key exchange, which which relies on the so-called discrete logarithm problem which we've discussed that was that was released in 76 and RSA encryption which relies on the hardness of factoring problem that happened in 77 so that's more than 30 years ago those so 30 years ago was uh, th- I mean thirty years from then was two thousand seven, and that's around the time that elliptic curve crypto ecc began to happen so really thirty years is a good run that's a that I mean that's a successful lifetime for anything in the security arena and these guys argue that the problem is we are not prepared to move as quickly as we should. There is RSA and and Diffie-Hellman are too well entrenched in the in, in the crypto ecosystem such that if, if if factoring fell tomorrow and they're not saying it's going to but you know, Bruce Schneier's famous quote was, "Attacks never get worse; they only get better." And we, and th- one of our big topics for today is breach, a new attack on on SSL encryption, HTTPS sessions, where th- we did th- we we're going to see exactly that. So, what they're, they're, they ended their presentation showing timelines and exponential graphs and charts and they really made a strong a strong case for the fact that that we need to move now there is something interesting holding us back and that is that blackberry of all people own the patents on ECC and the NSA has even licensed the patents for some domains of use from BlackBerry. Um, But ECC is somewhat patent encumbered. And so in general, the industry doesn't like freely using and and relying on patent encumbered crypto. I mean, that's always been a concern, you know, the issue of intellectual property. So they made a, a plea for BlackBerry to consider um, you know, doing what's right and allowing some use of their patents. And one, one, one wishes that BlackBerry were in better, better shape right now because they're probably looking at their elliptic curve crypto patents covetously and then thinking, ooh, how much money can we get for these? Which is, you know, not good. But so it just, it was an interesting presentation saying, uh, you know, uh, keep an eye on RSA. Uh, the problem is, making the keys bigger the RSA keys we're talking now about 2048 bits google famously is retiring its uh 20 its 1024 bit keys moving to 2048 um our own uh backend credit card processing merchant gateway recently sent an email saying that their test gateway is now running 2048 that by a couple months from now they're going to be switching over so Anyone relying on anyone who might have um, SSL crypto, which is sensitive and and my implementation is not. But, you know, so there's another instance of everyone beginning to have to do move to 2048 as their 1024 bit um, certificates are expiring. So uh, the problem is that elliptic curve crypto is much faster and uses much shorter keys. You get about the equivalent uh, with only twice the key length of elliptic curve crypto, which is a public key. It's an asymmetric key technology. You only need to go for, to get about the equivalent security of a 256-bit key in in symmetric. You only need about a 512-bit key in elliptic curve, whereas you need about a 16,000-bit key using prime factorization RSA. And boy, (laughs) things really slow down. That's the problem is RSA does not scale well in key length and performance. Whereas in order to maintain security, whereas elliptic curve crypto, it scales much better, much more efficiently. Uh, I did also note just in passing that uh, even Wikimedia is responding to the NSA spying uh, news and they are hastening their move to HTTPS everywhere. They're going to be switching to a, a full secure mode, just so that to to make it less easy to have the users of Wikipedia uh, and the other m- Wikimedia properties uh, surveilled. Uh, and then, and then, lastly, before we get into our other technology stuff, uh, I, I noted and many people brought it to my attention. That the other agencies, almost predictably, are the other government agencies, are now complaining that the NSA has access to information they would like to have, because it would make their their well, discoveries and cases. The, I know the New York Times said the National Security Agency's dominant role as the nation's spy warehouse has spurred frequent tensions and turf fights with other federal intelligence agencies that want to use its surveillance tools for their own investigations, says uh, uh, officials. Agencies working to curb drug trafficking, cyber attacks, money laundering, counterfeiting, and even copyright infringement. We know who they are. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Complain that their attempts to exploit the security agency's vast resources have often been turned down because their own investigations are not considered a high enough priority, current and former government officials have said. Intelligence officials say they've been careful to limit the use of the security agency's troves of data and eavesdropping spyware for fear that they could be misused in ways that violate Americans' privacy rights. Uh-huh.
0: What so a surprise. Yeah.
1: We, got, we got it, and you guys don't get it. <laughs> Except that I don't buy
0: it. No. I'm sure everybody gets it.
1: No. So two brief notes. Um, I, I did, as I mentioned at the top of the show, finish the Void trilogy last week. Loved it, and I would recommend Fallen Dragon as anyone's first dip into Peter Hamilton followed by the Pandora Star, star and Judas Unchained uh, pair of books. Uh, Elysium uh, Matt Damon stars and opens on Friday. I can't wait. Uh, that I, might actually that be good. Looks looks mm-hmm. great from what I've seen. And Oblivion, the only movie that I've seen twice this summer was released on disc. I thought you didn't like it. Oh, I loved it. Oh, you liked it. That's the Tom Cruise yeah. one. Yeah, thought it was great. Oh, okay. I, thought, I really enjoyed it. And then, just totally random, but I got a chuckle out of this. Uh, I got a note from Amazon telling me that the extended version of The Hobbit was just <laughs> In case out it on DVD long enough. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what? They extended the extended movie because uh, I mean, everybody was complaining. It was already three movie hours was or something. Ridiculously yeah, long. Yeah, but no. We didn't see it all, Leo. There was some that was left on the cutting room floor. So they, <laughs> they pieced it back together, Waste. and the extended version.
0: Waste. No furry toe. Oh.
1: So um, uh, that's annoying because,
0: of course, I bought the deluxe Blu-ray of The Hobbit when it came out, and now that's probably why they want me to buy it again. And did you watch it yet? Yeah, several times. I liked it.
1: Yeah. I, did. I enjoyed the movie I also. didn't dislike I
0: thought... it. I mean, it was nothing like the book, but I didn't dislike it. I liked it. I, I, did. I
1: didn't think yeah. it was too long. No so, one comes out in get, December. You can get more if you want. It's extended. Now. <laughs> I can only imagine. And uh, I am back on working on Spinrite. Yay! Uh, I'm working on now on the the low level driver for uh, the hardware, to, uh, which will give us the access to huge buffers, and was going to just really make S- Spinrite's going to be a huge uh, performance benefit for for Right. Um, what I d- did so far, uh, there's there's a bunch of very delicate timing in the the so-called ATA specification. Where, for example, if you if you change the drive you're selecting, um, where you've got two drives on on a traditional flat cable, you know the 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 IDE style drive with master and slave, you have to wait 400 nanoseconds for the newly selected drive to put its status on the bus and the drive that's, that was selected to release its status from the bus. 400 the problem, billionths of a second? Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, and the problem is <laughs> that it's not easy to know when that amount of time has passed. I don't think you can count it, really. Well, and so there is like easy to know if much more time has passed, but if I did that, then... I wouldn't be running as fast as I could, you know, and my whole, as is always the case for me, I want to, to write this code once and have it last forever. So I've seen, when I've looked around at how other people have solved the problem, I have been disappointed because even on really good websites, they say issue five output instructions and only use the or or five input instructions sampling the status and only use the results from the last one. And it's like, what? Well, how do you know how long each output instruction is going to be? Because that keeps changing and getting faster. And it varies whether you're on an old-style motherboard or a fancy, fast chipset and so forth. So I've been very disappointed with what I've seen. Anyway, what I wrote and nailed down... Uh, after i got back to spinright was a system that gives me accuracy to on the test platform i have and it's it will in generally be the case uh, down to 323 picoseconds of timing so that the 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 500 nanosecond i'm going to give it an extra 100 just because that's wise the 500 nanosecond delay requires 1549 of those 323 picosecond intervals. So I've got that nailed down. I have a general purpose, high, highly accurate, high resolution time base, which establishes itself in three and a half seconds on anyone's machine. Um, and then that will be driving all of the, the access where, where software is involved in waiting for things to happen on the, uh, on the hardware bus. So it's going to be good. And it's going to work. How fun.
0: What yeah. fun to be solving
1: it. problems like this. That's why you do it. Yep. It's fun. Oh, it is exactly why I do it yeah. because I want it's stuff I haven't done before. Yeah. And I I'd come up with exactly the right solution that nobody else seems to have taken the time to do right. So it's Gibson. And everybody Wright. who has Spin Right 6 gets the new one.
0: Yay! So, Hey, before we go on, uh, Steve, let me interrupt uh, briefly and talk a little bit about uh, our sponsor, Audible.com, the best place to get audiobooks, 100,000 strong audiobooks, lectures. They've got the great courses now. That's really, I, I love those. Uh, they've got, uh, of course, comedy performances, speeches, anything audio, anything you might listen to as you drive to work or home from work or at the gym or walking the dog or doing the dishes. Audible is the world's best bookstore of audiobooks. Fiction, science fiction, thrillers, romance, science, it's all here. Steve and I have been talking about Peter F. Hamilton. They've got a good selection of Peter F. Hamilton books. I just added uh, one to my cart, the one uh, Steve recommended, the uh, early Peter F. Hamilton, which I hadn't read, the Greg Mandel trilogy. Uh, They've got uh, all three books of that. I'm going to start with Mindstar Rising. I'll tell you what, you want to get this for free? I'll show you how. Oh, here's another one. If you're a Neal Stevenson fan, they've got uh, all the Neal Stevenson books, including the entire Baroque cycle, if you like long stuff. You know, wh- one of my all time favorite books, maybe my favorite book of all time, is Cryptonomicon by Steel- Neal Stevenson. The, what, it's, it's science fiction? No, it's about crypto. It's crypto fiction. <laughs> it's fabulous. Anyway, I can go on and on. Here's the deal visit Audible Podcast dot com slash security now you'll be signing up for the gold account that's a book a month but your first month is free your first book is free cancel anytime in the first 30 days pay nothing and uh you will uh get to keep the book forever this would be a great one you see it's it's already in wait a minute it's not my library i must have i must have actually read this this is was... This is from when I read books still. I listen now. I'm going to get this. I'm going to add this to my cart cuz I I've already read it once but it is one of the great books of all time. See, I have two credits available. That means I can get it for free. I'm going to get that and the Greg Mandel trilogy book. You have to pick one, but next month you can get another one. Go there right now audiblepodcast.com/security now we thank him so much for their support. Leo Laporte, Steve Gibson and uh, there's still lots
1: more to talk about. Actually, two major issues, All right. which I think will fit nicely into this final 20 minutes. So, responding to an arrest warrant and U.S. extradition request, a, an arguably slimy guy, Eric Oyen um, Marcus, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, was arrested in Ireland last Thursday um and at an, an an a paper over in Ireland the Irish Independent reported that Marcus is w- is wanted for distributing child pornography in a federal case filed in Maryland in the US and quotes an FBI special agent describing Marcus as quote the largest facilitator of child pornography on the planet and elsewhere i don't remember now where Oh, here it is in, in, in an article by Wired. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, follow into this. Wired magazine then uh, picked up the news, which uh, uh, just about coincident with this event, and so as a consequence, it's not believed to be coincidental. <laughs> um, Freedom Hosting, which was the facility that Eric. ...was operating, began having, began, uh, well, it, it put up a notice saying that the sites it was hosting... ...were temporarily down for maintenance and spyware was being injected. Freedom Hosting is in the Tor network using the Tor hidden services that we have talked about. In fact, we did a podcast on uh, using the distributed hash tables and how the use of hidden services was a sort of an inversion of what Tor was originally designed to anonymize. Tor initially was anonymizing users who would use the Tor client to access the internet, internet through multiple Tor nodes, hopping around, Um, with the onion layers being peeled each time decrypting their traffic so that no and where no node needed to be trusted. Very clever system. Then they added a second facility such that rather than having your traffic eventually go out onto the internet where then it would be public, it was possible to similarly conceal servers such that they would have they would have name dot onion so they use the dot, the the dot onion top level domain, and the server itself could be hidden within the Tor network. Now, it's very valuable, of course, for many good purposes. Um, unfortunately, it can also, as all of these technologies can, just like cryptography itself, can be used. For bad purposes, and there were apparently Freedom Hosting was hosting websites that were offering a a great deal of of child pornography. So Wired's reporting uh, said Freedom Hosting has long been notorious for allowing child porn to live on its servers. In 2011, the hacktivist collective Anonymous singled out Freedom Hosting for denial of service attacks after allegedly finding the firm hosted 95% of the child pornography hidden services on the Tor network. Freedom Hosting is a provider of turnkey, this is Wired continuing. Freedom Hosting is a provider of turnkey Tor hidden service sites, special sites with addresses ending in .onion that hide their geographic location behind layers of routing and can be reached only over the Tor anonymity network. Tor hidden services are ideal for websites that need to evade surveillance or protect users' privacy to an extraordinary degree, which can include human rights groups and journalists. But it also... Naturally appeals to serious criminal elements. Shortly after, this is still Wired, shortly after Marcus's arrest last week, all of the hidden service sites hosted by Freedom Hosting began displaying a down for maintenance message. That included websites that had nothing to do with child pornography such as the secure email provider TorMail. And that's been one of the aspects of controversy here is that as has happened before, this was a bit of a blunt instrument that it turns out U.S. law enforcement was using. We'll get to the technology of that in a second. Some visitors, says Wired, looking at the source code of the maintenance page, realized that it included a hidden iframe tag... And here we go back to what I was saying last week about iframes just being fundamentally a bad idea or dangerous that loaded a mysterious clump of JavaScript code from a Verizon business Internet address located in Virginia. So first off, remember that what iframes do is they're like a web page within a web page. They are a frame that has a URL and they will induce the browser to go load that page with whatever the page contains. In this case, JavaScript from a Verizon business internet address. Now, there's many layers to this, and I alluded to one earlier. One problem was that, that the Tor browser bundle, which is the... Which is the it's TBB the Tor Browser Bundle is what most people use for accessing um, Tor, including these these um, these hidden servers. Had switched its policy sometime in the past from disabling JavaScript to enabling it specifically because sites weren't working. So, so the first part of this vulnerability was JavaScript was enabled. And there was a there was a known vulnerability since patched, which was not propagated into the Tor browser bundle, because this was an, a down version, version seventeen of Firefox, and this was the extended service release, the ESR version, which did not do automatic updates, so it wasn't getting updated. So, um, by midday. On Sunday, so this is like three days later, the code was being circulated and dissected all over the net. Mozilla confirmed the code exploits a critical memory management vulnerability in Firefox that was publicly reported back in June on the 25th and is fixed in the latest version of the browser. The Tor project wrote in a blog post Sunday, quote, the malware payload could be trying to exploit potential bugs in firefox 17 ESR on which our tor browser is based we're investigating these bugs and we'll fix them if we can and so they so wired concludes saying the inevitable conclusion is that the malware is designed specifically to attack the tor browser i agree the strongest clue that the culprit is the FBI beyond the circumstantial timing of eric uh, marcus 's arrest is that the malware does nothing but deny but identify the target, and so um, some people have reverse engineered the code I have looked at it it is windows um, it is Windows shell code essentially. The JavaScript has a has a variable called Magneto, which contains the Windows executable shellcode. It uses a memory management flaw in JavaScript to get to inject this Windows shellcode into uh, uh, into memory and then execute it. What it does is it connects to an IP address 65.222.202.54 over port 80, which is to say a web port. And then it, it assembles and issues a simple HTTP query to, to that IP address providing the system's host name and the local network adapter's MAC address. Hmm. And what's clever about that is, as we have often discussed and have, have explicitly talked about when we've been talking about the Ethernet protocol, which is where the MAC address lives, unless they are manually changed, they are globally unique. So so what is collected by by a server, an HTTP server at that IP, is the user's IP address, because that's where the non-spoofable TCP connection comes from, the system's host name, and the probably globally unique, or if nothing else, the current MAC address of that machine. So, um, I've seen all kinds of misreporting about this. There was some 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 reports believed that this was part of the CP a CIPAV, which is a well known for about a decade now FBI spyware tool. CIPAV stands for Computer and Internet Protocol Address Verifier. The reason I think that's misreported is that that is is a much more comprehensive piece of spyware. It collects the IP address, the MAC address, the list of open uh, TCP and UDP ports, the list of running programs, the OS type, version number, and serial number, the default internet browser and version, the current user of the system... The, the current logged in username and the last visited URL. So it's it's a much bigger blob. They're, they're, th- this exploit was, was much more tightly written and much smaller and doesn't leave any kind of backdoor or any, you know, any other modification behind it. Actually, it cleans itself up and hangs the system so that it essentially when it's restarted, forces a <laughs> it forces a reboot. It, clean, it cleans itself out. So it seems very minimal. Um, And back, oh, I can't think of now when it was, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals did rule that this minimal level of identification um, did not meet the level of of privacy that a user on the internet could reasonably expect to have. And it was constitutional to collect this without first having a search warrant. That so this,
0: so I mean your, your IP address is exposed.
1: Yeah. And your Mac address. And, your and Mac
0: address. It's just that yeah. you've been trying to prevent that from using Tor. That. And so and exactly through so, the Tor.
1: Exactly. And so that's the key here is remember that, that, you're using Tor and this client, and, and there's tremendous amount of technology involved in hiding you. You're, you've got all these wrappers of onion layers, and your data bouncing around among Tor browsers, and onions are being pulled and so forth. And then your computer does a straight hot beeline connection to the FBI. And, in fact, the, there, were, there were early reports that this was an NSA IP. They didn't turn out to be true. There were reports that it was an SIAC, which is a major government contractor. That's not the case. Nobody knows where this goes. It turns out that it's been the IP address, 65.222.202.54, has been traced to a small block of eight so-called ghost IPs. It's just an, a quote unallocated block at at the Verizon Business Data Center in Ashburn, Virginia. So, oh, so
0: nobody's using it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, nobody's using that. That's there uh, is a server.
1: There's a server that hmm. that accepts happily accepts your TCP huh. connection, Leo. Huh. And uh, and uh, so 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 essentially, what this the the whole takeaway is that. This bad guy, arguably bad guy, running, a, you know, providing a huge amount, presumably for money. I mean, he's, he's charging, I would imagine. He, I mean, this is a profit basis for him. <laughs> Selling kitty porn um, is extradited and um, arrested. The FBI figures out where his machines are, immediately puts up a are Down message but insert spyware such that anybody receiving those pages, anybody seeing those pages, will essentially completely de-anonymize themselves, connecting to the server in in Virginia with their IP, their MAC address, their machine's name, uh, and now they're in trouble. So you know, as well they should be. Although people using Tor Mail you know this again this did this did cut a large swath basically everyone using uh this freedom hosting uh who th- who visited oh by the way had to be on windows if you were on a mac the shell code would just explode and and do nothing hmm. clever so yeah clever yeah
0: can't really uh, complain about it since it was. No,
1: I don't. I I, I would say this was you know I, I, if nothing else, our takeaway here is that the FBI's got some smart people too. Yeah, and they are they're on the ball and they are using this technology and they're going to where law allows them to. And this did this did not cross a boundary. This was only getting people who were going to these sites de-anonymizing de- them and then allowing the FBI to you know then get a search warrant to to uh, you know get the person's machine and verify that in fact uh they were doing this they had they had this behavior in their recent history very interesting and lastly um wrapping this up we discussed um at some length in the past the uh Tai Duong and Giuliano Rizzo, one of whom was at the beach looking at bikinis, everyone will remember. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, when, when they came up with their so-called CRIME, C-R-I-M-E is the acronym for their very clever approach for using compression, the essentially using compression variation the, the 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 variation in the amount that that plain text would be compressed to determine what browser query headers were what we know of the compression is the more redundancy you have the greater the compression so they the theory was, and what they, what they did was they created a, an absolutely robust attack. The theory was we should be able to inject different things and then look at how the, the, the SSL TLS compression compresses our stuff plus the stuff we want to know. If our stuff matches the stuff we want to know, the compressor will compress it well because there's not much entropy there. If our stuff doesn't match what we want to know, it will expand it and not compress it. So they turned this into the so-called crime attack, where shortly afterwards, everyone stopped using SSL TLS compression. Now, that was easy to do. No one uses it anymore because of these guys back last year. But nobody was really using it in the first place. It was in the spec... Some people had it on, newer browsers used it or offered it, newer servers offered it. You had to have, it was one of those things where you had to have it at both ends. So they'd, they'd, both ends would negotiate. And if they both supported it, then they would turn on. But it was no big deal. Why? Because most of the traffic is going the other direction. It's, you know, you send a URL to the website and wham. Back comes the page. The page is where all the data is, and crime was only an attack on the query headers. What they got was, and they demonstrated this, they got the session cookie. So that was certainly valuable, but that's where their attack ended. Breach, B-R-E-A-C-H, browser reconnaissance and exfiltration via adaptive compression of hypertext. Nice acronym, Breach, was revealed last week at Black Hat. BreachAttack.com has all the details if you want more than you get here. And basically, these guys figured out how to go the other direction. And the bad news is everybody uses compression coming from the server. What, What crime did... Was remember that listen, we're all sort of talking about layers. We, the in communications technology, we've got like Ethernet at the bottom, and below that is like ARP, for example, for the Ethernet packets to route. And then we've got the IP layer, then we've got the TCP layer, then we have the SSL layer, and then we have on top of that HTTPS essentially. Um, uh, so, so the ssl tls layer really didn't matter because all it was was query headers essentially going in that direction but these guys have figured out how to do the same thing in a relatively short time to crack critical data state data being sent in the in the in the response headers which often contains cookie setting material or or can often redundant redundantly contain session based material that stuff's going in the other direction everybody compresses their responses the reason is as we've talked about this before html is incredibly redundant it's a markup language hypertext markup language html which has so much, not only is it often in whatever language the the text is written in, and language is inherently redundant, but all of this markup stuff, you know, tags are used with great abandon and, and they can all be compressed. Consequently, you get for example, you can take a, a typical HTML page and squeeze it down to 20 to 25% of its original size. So that's huge in terms of performance in terms of minimizing delivery bandwidth and and also improving uh, the whole response time system of the web ecosystem, because that means the page gets to you in one, 20, in one quarter to one fifth of the time. That contains links that allows the browser to ask for all the other assets of the page much faster and get them all coming to you. So the idea that we can no longer use HTTP compression is horrifying, and what these guys demonstrated was a was an attack on it, it, on um, I'm not I can't remember now whether it was IE or Chrome. Both were cited as being readily vulnerable because they're very fast. Um, and in their in, in the summary of their talk, it said, "In this hands-on talk, we will introduce a new targeted." And introduce new targeted techniques and research that allows an attacker to reliably retrieve encrypted secrets, session identifiers, tokens, OAuth tokens, email addresses, view state hidden fields, etc., from an HTTPS channel. We will demonstrate this new browser vector is real and practical by executing a proof of concept against a major enterprise product in under 30 seconds. The title of their, spe- their their talk was SSL, Gone in 30 Seconds, A Breach Beyond Crime. That's better than stealing a car. <laughs> and they said, we will describe the algorithm defi- behind the attack, how the usage of basic statistical analysis can be applied to extract data from dynamic pages as well as practical mitigations you can implement today. We will also describe the posture of different software-as-a-service vendors vis-a-vis this attack. Finally, to provide the community with ability to build on our research, determine levels of exposure, and deploy appropriate protection, we will release the breach tool. Oh. Yes. Wow.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So that has happened. Hmm. For, For mitigation, they don't offer much. Number one, disable HTTP compression. Ouch. Nobody can afford to do that today. Disconnect secrets from user input. Somehow keep them, you know, like minimize the exposure. They suggest masking the secrets. For example, randomizing them with XOR and something else which you provide so that so the idea is you don't want something static to be sent from the server over and over and over so for example don't redundantly provide the session token over and over and over and over because that's the kind of thing that's vulnerable and and so essentially we've all all web browser developers have assumed that if they enforce HTTPS, that is SSL sessions on the delivery of a secure page. Then nothing else matters. They can just they can send cookies. They can they they can have headers that they would not anyone else want ever want anyone else to see. They don't have to worry. That's gone now. Now, any any webmasters should immediately take a look. Who are concerned about this? Take a look at what they're sending out at the in the in the response headers and do what they need to to obscure them rearrange them uh, pad them add pseudo random noise as the first header append a, a, a random varying length junk before the actual secret content it's really from this point on it's going to be necessary to deliberately obscure the response headers with stuff that will defeat this kind of a multiple query compre- this is using compression the same the same concept as crime where where the, that that's why turning off compression saves you is these guys are injecting stuff and seeing how the compression changes based on what they inject, that is, allows them to, to essentially infer what was already there being compressed. And maybe we could have an evolution of compression so that it's not as deterministic. Maybe there could be some change to HTTP compression to thwart this kind of attack. Absent that, and bef- until then, it's going to be necessary to to do something to obscure these headers. So a, a, a word of warning to all webmasters out there and there's our podcast and a lovely one
0: it was indeed well you've given me great reason to be
1: depressed but thank you anyway <laughs> yep lots of news from Black Hat and, uh, wow. and less, lots of security stuff. Wow.
0: Steve Gibson does this show every, uh, every Wednesday 11 a.m. Pacific 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time 1900 UTC that's at twitch.tv I hope you'll join us live if, if you can't Well, uh, you can always get audio or video on demand. There's several ways to do that. GRC.com has 16 kilobit audio. And the smallest form of all, the the text transcriptions by Elaine, uh, GRC.com, that's Steve's site. We have at twit.tv high-quality audio and video. Or wherever, you know, finer podcasts are available. Do you make a feed available of the uh, 16 kilobit? Don't do a feed. No. So you just have to download that directly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. You won't get sued. Uh and that uh, that's uh, forget I said that. Uh <laughs> we'll talk another time. Um what else is there? Well, of course, last uh, not last pass, uh, it's been right. Another two syllable must have utility. There? What else is there? Ah, uh, yeah SpinRite, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Uh and a lot of freebies too, so uh go over there and visit GRC dot com. will you do questions next week, you
1: think? Yeah, let's do Q and next week. Right. and I'll probably have some more really interesting spinwright news too. Ooh, oh, how exciting! Yep, thank God that novel was no longer. <laughs> only, only took me ten days of furious reading. <laughs> Believe me, I got it out of my system. I just bought I, the having... two
0: that I just bought the two that you mentioned on
1: Audible. Yeah, the yeah. Greg Mandel series. Yeah. They are really they're they're easier and really fun. They're yeah. sort of like like Hamilton getting warmed up. Can't wait! I'm so excited.
0: Um, but if you have questions for Steve, grc.com slash feedback is the place to go. Yes. Don't, don't email him. G- you can't. grc.com slash feedback. And we will do a PGP, I hope, a PGP episode soon.
1: Yes. Well, we're going to do a series. Yeah. Because there's a lot of foundation I want to lay down. A lot of down. questions,
0: and I'm getting a lot of emails from people who have installed it and got it working, but there's still lots of questions. In fact, yep. I will forward you an email I got from somebody who said, you're doing it wrong, Leo. And uh, you should have multiple keys. You should have a different key for encryption, a different key for insigning. You shouldn't be using RSA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I'll pass that along to you. I guess this is the pro tips for PGP. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I've been perfectly happy with the old way, but uh, if you really wanted to make it breach-proof, I guess. Yeah.
1: When you're just saying, "Mom, what's for dinner?" Yeah. There's nothing in
0: there. But I yeah. like to. I just like to tweak the NSA,
1: as
0: long as I can, till I'm in jail. Uh. What else? I guess that's it. We will uh, see you next week right
1: here. Perfect. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Security now.